Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Get your news in less than three minutes, three times per day with the Al Jazeera News Updates. Just ask your home device to play the news by Al Jazeera or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And everyone sleep really well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like a log. Like a log. We're at the cottage. Oh, come on. We're at the cottage. Come on. We're at the cottage, huh? Yeah. yeah. Cottage. Great to have you. Thank you so much. You know, living the dream. If there is such thing as the Canadian dream, it involves the cottage or the cabin or camp, call it whatever you want, but escaping to a peaceful retreat in the woods, communing with nature, swimming in a lake, power boats, hot tubs, day drinking, all that stuff, it's a crucial aspect of what makes Canadians Canadians. Well, some Canadians, mostly white Canadians. Until 1950, it was perfectly legal in Ontario for deeds to cottages to include legal covenants prohibiting their sale to Jewish or black people. By the time I was born in the late 70s, Jews had assimilated, and a key part of that assimilation had become the cottage. It's gotten pretty crazy in the years since. Owning a modest summer home, like an hour outside of town, it used to be an obtainable goal for the middle class. Well, not these days. Cottage ownership around here is now a luxury status symbol for the wealthy. And people routinely sit in gridlock traffic for four or five hours to get to their multi-million dollar summer homes. Small towns have been transformed, just gentrified completely with bougie shops catering to seasonal visitors. The cottages themselves scarcely resemble the log cabin in the woods that you might be picturing. Think monstrous forest mansion. It's not that extreme everywhere, but ever since the pandemic, prices have shot up across the country. And cottage culture, a quick getaway to a lake for some peace of mind, well, that experience has become even less accessible to most people in Canada. And some people could really use a break. Google the phrase black fatigue or black people are tired and you will find post after post describing a widely felt consequence of the racial reckoning that has played out after the murder of George Floyd 
by a police officer in Minneapolis in 2020. What happened was that after decades, maybe centuries, of ignoring systemic racism, the world suddenly got really, really interested in the topic. Workplaces struck up diversity, equity, and inclusion committees. Black colleagues were increasingly called upon to teach, assess, explain, and relive racism on an almost daily basis. Meanwhile, racism itself carried on unabated, but suddenly its most graphic evidence was inescapable, with news reports and social media feeds filling up with graphic videos of black people being maimed and murdered by police, black kids getting harassed by so-called Karens, a black bird watcher in New York being confronted with paranoid racism when he was just trying to find some peace of mind in Central Park. That guy in particular looked like he could have really used a weekend at the cottage. Okay, today we're going to bring you a story about what happened when some Canadians got together during that racial reckoning and tried to create a cottage retreat in Nova Scotia specifically for BIPOC people. It was a compassionate community effort to extend a part of the Canadian dream to people who may never have had access to it before. But now, some people are calling it all a scam. Reporter Cherise Sucherin has the story. Wait for it. This episode is brought to you by Luke Mataford, Derek Wall, Eric Norman, Geneva Morera, Gabrielle Heiss, Kayla Marie Hillier, Alicia Orchidi Diaz, and Jarrett. Hi, I'm Jarrett, an accountant from Calgary, Alberta. I support Canada Land for hard-hitting series like Commons and Ratfucker, and also for amazing interviews with people like Jonathan Torrens and Kate Beaton. In Nova Scotia, there isn't a lot of space for people of color. And I mean dedicated space for people of color just for folks to gather on their own without the threat of encountering racism. And those threats are real. In the summer of 2020, while protests against the death of George Floyd were happening around the world, reports of racism in Nova Scotia were actually on the rise. StatsGen reported that hate crimes in Nova Scotia rose 70% between 2019 and 2020, the highest rise of any province in Canada. The majority of those crimes were targeting black people. And that's not to mention the systemic discrimination happening in the province day to day. A report released last year found black people were street checked at a rate six times higher than white people in Halifax. That's when police stop people on the street and then record personal or identifying information. The practice has now been banned. Stop looking across the border, Canada. Start looking in Canada itself. Nova Scotia's first black lieutenant governor says there has been some progress over the years, but she still lives with racial profiling. Shopping while black, um, that is something that you think about all the time. You have no choice but to be strategic. That summer, there was a racist incident near Chester, located on the south shore of Nova Scotia. Greg Dean, a black man, was relaxing at a lake with his spouse, who was white, and their two kids, when they were approached by a group of teens, one of whom was swinging a noose. And then my wife looked up, and his friend had it, and he was swinging it like this. To me, that's a death threat, and I'm a white woman. 
That incident resulted in two teens charged with the incitement of hatred, which is a rare charge made only in scenarios of extreme hatred. And less than two months later, Tari Ajadi, a black man, was in downtown Halifax with his friend, who was a white woman, when they were accosted by a man who questioned why they were sitting together. Ajadi filmed the encounter and posted it on social media. You want to say that on video now? So you, you were a little white girl once, right? So why don't you care about your, your, the old white people and the young white people? There are plenty of brown women in the world, and you should probably uh, meet one of them. Unbelievable. Plenty of brown women in the world, and I should probably meet one of them. And why is that? No, no, no. You, you're not done yet. Keep talking. Keep talking. Please. Please, please, please. Keep talking. Because you're on camera, right? The black community and their allies came together to try to do something. Across Nova Scotia, there were many events held that summer in support of Black Lives Matter and the anti-racist movement. And it was at those events that the creators of the Birchtown Retreat first connected. One of those people was Jessica Hepburn. According to her own online descriptions, Hepburn is of mixed Black and Jewish descent and was raised in Vancouver in the downtown east side. She was the owner of a cafe called The Biscuit Eater and a big part of the South Shore community. She started a hub for makers and a campaign to protect clean water. She identifies as a community organizer, and in interviews, she's talked a lot about her passion for community change, starting from when she was a child growing up going to Indigenous women's marches with her friends. In 2019, she ran for MP with the NDP for the South Shore St. Margaret's Riding. Here's a bit from her campaign video, in which she's seated on the couch at home, surrounded by her kids and her husband. I know from my work with communities that there is no us versus them. When I'm elected, I will bring everyone in our communities with me. I will bring the seniors, and I will bring the poor people of color. I will bring indigenous people. I'll take everybody until we have a seat at the table. I'm not competing with anyone. While she lost that campaign, Jessica continued on as owner of The Biscuit Eater. During the summer of 2020, Jessica met Lauren Harris. Lauren was also active in organizing and speaking at anti-racist events. I first met Jessica in the summer of 2020, post George Floyd's murder. I had spoken at an event for George Floyd in um, the extremely white small town of Bridgewater. Jessica saw me speak and expressed to her friend that I had been working for at the time, that she would like to meet me. I promptly agreed because like, I had not heard that there was a Black-owned business in the South Shore, which was a big deal to me. Together, they started thinking about how it would be great to have a space where BIPOC folks could get together, hold events, something that could be owned by the whole community. And it would be kind of neat to, like, hook up our vision of people being able to get rest, but then also provide, like, learning or education in the future or in, like, other programs we want to put together. And then also, like, allow it as a space for community members to buy into memberships and then like co-own the land and be able to run their own programs through the space. Like Jessica had the big vision and we were all like, yes, this is what we need. This is what community needs. And we're all just kind of like, okay, let's make it happen. Liesl Mulholland was a longtime friend and collaborator of Jessica's. She said at the time, it seemed like the perfect way to address growing problems of racism in Nova Scotia. I think the world shifted a lot for everyone in 2020. So I think a lot of us, especially racialized people, were dealing with this 
trauma of being isolated, but then watching the shift in conversation globally and the shift in action globally around race. And I think Nova Scotia was not exempt to that. And, you know, people were coming forward a lot more with instances of how they were feeling or not feeling safe. She said they needed rest. So I think from those conversations and at this time, you know, Jessica and I probably talked almost daily, you know, Black and racialized people were needing rest or we were craving rest because at this time too, with all of this happening, a lot of organizations that are traditionally white-centered were then reaching out to Black leaders in community, asking us to speak about this or come do this diversity, equity, inclusion training. But there's no Black-owned space where we felt safe to go and have that rest. It was Jessica's idea to buy land for a retreat in Birchtown, a place that had a lot of meaning to the Black community in Nova Scotia. Before we continue, I have to talk about why Birchtown is so important. And to understand that, we have to go back, way back. Way back to the era of the American Revolutionary War and the time of enslavement. Birchtown, which is also located on the south shore of Nova Scotia, was at one point the largest free Black settlement outside of Africa. It was founded by the Black Loyalists, people of African descent, who were on the side of the British during the American Revolutionary War. In the 1770s, when the Americans in the colonies fought back from British rule, the British turned and made an offer to enslaved Africans. Fight for us, and we will give you your freedom. And many did. Eventually, the Black Loyalists were freed and sent away to Nova Scotia and other parts of the world. A large number formed the community of Birchtown. Many of the Black Loyalists eventually left the community because of poor living conditions, and they went to Sierra Leone and formed Freetown. But a small number remained in Birchtown. Now fast forward to 2020, and Birchtown is home to the Black Loyalist Museum and several monuments to Black history that occurred there. There's a community of Black Loyalist descendants in Nova Scotia that have roots that trace back many, many generations. But this community, as well as Black Nova Scotians with different roots, still face racism today. Which brings us back to the retreat. Jessica had found a plot of land in Birchtown and started to take steps to purchase it. She gathered a core group of organizers, including Lauren and Liesel. They started taking donations and selling memberships for the retreat. They called it Buy Black Birchtown, and they received the support of the larger community through fundraisers created by different groups. One of those groups was the Changes Brewing Collective, which advocates for inclusion in the craft brewing industry. They started their own GoFundMe for the project, led by co-founder Shakara Grant, and raised over $20,000 for Buy Black Birchtown. The fundraisers went about widely promoting their idea. Here's Jessica on Information Morning. We were thinking of, you know, renting a space to have a small retreat, and we just couldn't find any place that was explicitly for Black, Indigenous, and people of color, so we decided to buy one. So starting in June 2021, we'll be ready for people to come and use the property, prioritizing members. So we are currently selling memberships at a variety of levels from zero to $5,000 and above for the investor-level membership. There were a few people in groups paying for the investor status that Jessica mentioned, including the YWCA of Halifax, who planned to use their membership for a summer staff retreat. Another person who helped fundraise and bought a membership was Melissa Mbeba. 
So I operate a wholesale bakery with my husband here in Dartmouth. And every year in February, we do a Black Futures Month initiative. And basically, we have some sort of a cake or a feature product. Um, We sell them through the month of February, and all of the profits then go back to initiatives in the city that are kind of helping to better the future of Black youth. I had spoken with Jessica through messages, and the way that she kind of envisioned it to be, I think, was a retreat space where, yes, people could go stay and rest, but also kind of like a place to gather and collaborate on ideas and a space for summer camps for kids, like that kind of thing, more of like a community center, I would say. It was perfect. A small waterfront property, about a two and a half hours drive out of Halifax. It was on eight acres of land, with a smaller guest house and a larger main guest house that could be used for hosting gatherings and events. There was a forested area with tall trees, and one end of the property was right up on the waterfront. Perfect. It seemed like a great location, you know, great spot for for the retreat space. There was definitely a sense that this would work. The property was bought for just over $450,000. According to Liesl, the retreat was always planned to be cooperatively owned and run. The Facebook page for the retreat was even called the Birchtown Retreat Cooperative. But Jessica took the lead on buying the property, and she sold her house in Lunenburg to get the down payment. To qualify for the mortgage, her husband and Liesl's husband also had to co-sign. According to Liesl, they always planned to take both husbands off the mortgage and transfer ownership to a cooperative of BIPOC folks. The donations from the various fundraisers and memberships would go toward maintaining the retreat space and sponsoring various groups to stay for free. These funds included approximately $4,300 from one GoFundMe, $22,000 from the Changes Brewing GoFundMe, and about $16,000 from various funds and memberships. But on Lauren's side, things were a lot less than perfect. See, when Lauren and Jessica met in the summer of 2020, They became close, almost like family, Lauren said. Jessica offered Lauren, who was 19 at the time, the opportunity to come work in her cafe and learn some skills, sort of like an apprenticeship. To Lauren, it was an exciting opportunity. And the cafe was pretty popular among the locals. And honestly, based on social media, the food sounded delicious. Just an hour outside of Halifax is the Biscuit Eater in Mahone Bay. They serve the most amazing food. Sweet and savory bites. Think English high tea. There were cinnamon French toast squares with raspberry and cream. Highly, highly recommend this place. In 2021, the Biscuit Eater won Best Restaurant at the Taste of Nova Scotia Awards. Here's Jessica being interviewed about the win. I think that that is, I'm an inner city poor kid from downtown East Vancouver. Feeding people is always going to be the priority. Uh, The Biscuit Eater is named after a short story about segregation in the American South. And I think that people often think about segregation as an American thing. But we live in deeply segregated communities. The South Shore of Nova Scotia is like the site of the beginning of real black history in Canada. And yet you see very little representation. To my knowledge, we are one of the only black-owned businesses in the South Shore. So to exist here, to make opportunity, to invest in our community. At first, it was working out great. Lauren was learning a lot by working at the cafe, and they had become close to Jessica's family. But Lauren said that after some time, things took a turn. Like, Jessica started to have outbursts at work in the kitchen and, like, yell at um, her children in front of the staff, throwing dishes around, and she would bounce between being, like, super supportive for 
folks and then just being like flat out harmful. So yeah, that's kind of how it evolved. And by the spring of 2021, she said she knew she had to leave. And so did the staff. Everything started out really good. And then these patterns started to appear in her behavior that like affected everybody in the space really and led to like myself and like four plus other employees all quitting at the exact same time. Lauren wasn't the only one who told me about experiencing issues working at the Biscuit Eater. In the fall of 2021, Jessica reached out to a contact in Toronto, Haritha Nanarada. Haritha spent years in the bar and restaurant industry and also co-ran a non-alcoholic cocktail company with his wife. The two had been thinking about leaving Toronto in search of more space and cheaper costs of living. Jessica had an amazing offer for him. Come to the South Shore, work for the biscuit eater, and Haritha and his wife could live upstairs for free and use the space to make their cocktails. It was perfect, and the idea of moving to Nova Scotia seemed like an amazing adventure after months of lockdown. But when they got there, Haritha said that things started to go downhill. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, I'd uh, get downstairs, and oftentimes I'd have been up until kind of the wee hours of the morning already um, trying to clean and uh, just exhaust myself. Eventually, Jessica and Chris would roll up, and they would kind of always be in just the most ridiculous hurry. Oftentimes, she'd already be upset, you know, getting in the door, just like they're both out of breath and like the tension kind of hit as soon as they walked in the door. And yeah, pretty much no matter where I was, I'd be able to hear her. You know, like she would be off on one of her big swearing rants about God knows what. I mean, most of the time it was something to do with racism she'd encounter and you know a couple times like I'd be serving dishes to people and you know these wonderful old people and they'd be they'd be like you know I'm sorry to ask but do you think it's possible that they could keep the uh the swearing a bit down and uh like every time they'd say that I'd just have to think of something else to tell them There were several incidents where he said the mistreatment of workers and stress levels made him think about quitting. And soon, the staff members that were there, one by one, decided to leave. And he found out that this had, in fact, happened before, not long before Haritha received that Facebook message from Jessica out of nowhere. Her old staff had also quit en masse. Finally, it was just Haritha running the cafe with Jessica and her husband. You know, I was, I was having, you know, mental health struggles almost from day one there. Um, And at first we kind of wondered if it was like a big city versus small town conflict and that I just had different kinds of expectations and maybe I'll try keeping a more open mind and that didn't really help. And... Like, it all kind of came to a head, I don't know, the last week, the last two weeks. Haritha had had enough. He said he needed to get away from Jessica, even if it meant losing the apartment and the only home he'd known on the South Shore. So in the spring of 2022, Haritha and his wife packed up their belongings from above the cafe and left for good. The biscuit eater and Jessica 
were now without a manager or any staff at all. But Haritha was actually just the first in a long line of people who would eventually cut ties with Jessica Hepburn. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals pre and probiotics and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. Back at Birchtown, problems had also started to arise. Liesl said things had stalled. The property was closed and secured April 28, 2021. And then the year passed. I mean, there was a bit of, you know, pandemic stuff happening. But coming down to the end of 2021, still not having any um, bookings or persons who had donated or invested money in, those bookings had not been brought in. So there was a bit of silence. And I think that's where Shakara took the initiative to just say, well, you know, we need to update people. We need to get a newsletter out. We need to do this. And that's not all. Jessica had asked Liesl, Shakara, and another volunteer to sign papers to officially incorporate as a co-op and become directors. But it turned out that the process of creating a cooperative was much more complicated than they expected. There was disagreement in the group about how to move forward, and Jessica admitted to being overwhelmed with the cafe. She didn't file the papers. But that also meant that the major funders of the project would not have the input that they originally expected. Jessica sent out a message. This was the message that was sent out in February 2022 to founding members and supporters that after making the purchase, there were lockdowns, there's a lack of organizing capacity, and we had to delay the opening of the retreat space. So Changes Brewing was one of them. The YWCA Halifax was one. And there was another organization, um, I think School Arts. So I don't believe there was any conversations with those three organizations at that level to say, hey, your investor status as this collective cooperative movement, we can't make that happen anymore. We're going to pivot and change. The name was officially changed. On the 20th of March, 2022, the name was changed to just Birchtown Retreat, where cooperative was took out of the Facebook title. And the message on the Facebook page was saying, you know, after struggling to find time and resources to incorporate a new cooperative nonprofit, we have decided to partner with the Biscuit Eater Cafe. By the spring of 2022, a small number of people had been able to visit the retreat, staying at the smaller guest house. However, it had not been officially opened. Many BIPOC folks who bought memberships were patiently waiting to be able to book their first stay. What they didn't know was that someone was already staying at the property and had been for a while. 
So there's a smaller cottage and that is the one that was going to be used for rentals in the meantime. At this point, Jessica also and her family are living in the main house. And that for me was, wait a minute, because I don't think any of us involved in it thought that that was going to be a permanent long-term thing. Liesl had found out that Jessica and her family had moved into the retreat, into the bigger guest house meant to be rented out to guests. So I remember when going there in December of 2021, and I spent a few days in the cottage with my family, and I believe that was the first time I went, that was the first time I was seeing it. What was jarring a bit for me was to see, oh, they're living in it. You know, like the vision that was shared was that this house, it has a big kitchen, um, you know, people would be using it when they come for larger groups for rest and retreat. But obviously at that point in time, I realized, well, that's not going to be happening because this family is living here in this house. So there are multiple sides to this story about how Jessica came to live in that house. According to Lauren, they had been told that Jessica was moving into the house. They had actually helped her move there, but always with the idea that it would be a temporary thing. I was told that she was going to be staying in the big house until we could build, like, other mini cottages or houses, like, on the property, because the property is pretty large. One of them could be hers. So I thought that maybe it was temporary, the house living part, but not, like, that that was the, like long-term plan and then it started to shift from like oh this is a temporary thing to like oh we want to stay in the house and I was like um we're supposed to share this house I understand if like you guys sold your house so now you know there's nowhere to go so you have to stay here until we can like build you something to live in but the house is still supposed to be like communally shared like people are supposed to still come in here and do programming and have meals for the main house to be a home for Jessica and her family They said that was never in the plan. At this point in 2022, the informal Birchtown Retreat Board of Directors were worried that the retreat might actually never be open. And aside from her living at the house, they had one other question for Jessica. Where was the money? Liesl said they had been told from the start it was being kept separately from Jessica's own money. But she had never seen the account. So after receiving all these funds, Shikara and and myself just kept asking, you know, the money, the money, the money. And we were assured multiple times in writing by Jessica that these funds, or especially the changes brewing funds, was in a separate bank account. It was in a separate bank account and it was untouched. It was untouched. That's what we kept hearing. This money is in a separate bank account. It's not been touched. So when we started asking to see the screenshots of this separate bank account with funds untouched, then the narrative changed to, no, it's like in a separate account, but on the numbered corporation that is attached to the biscuit eater. And that would make some sense because Jessica had been accepting donations for Birchtown through the website of the biscuit eater. But she assured everyone that it was all being kept separate. Melissa, who you heard from earlier, had also gotten wind of how the funds she helped to raise were being stored. And she had questions. And I think a lot of the things that were supposed to be done were not also. There doesn't seem to be like a a real record of memberships that we can use. (laughs) 
In the spring of 2022, the key fundraisers from Changes Brewing and Birchtown's informal board of directors had a meeting to set things straight. Records from this meeting show Jessica Express being at capacity from running the cafe and several personal matters. She said she was also running out of money to continue to sustain the retreat on her own, and she planned to sell the cafe to make it work. For the board, that meeting seemed to raise more questions than it answered. By then, it was also past the deadline they had set for taking Liesl's husband off the mortgage. Again, things stalled. In June 2022, the whole board handed in their resignations to Jessica and sent out a letter to the funders. That letter said, Through discussions we've had privately with Jessica Hepburn, the landowner and primary investor in this retreat, it appears as though there is no intent for them to create this retreat in the way it was originally explained to us. The board members further described themselves being disappointed and misled. Just a few weeks later, Jessica and her husband sent out a letter to the funders that the retreat was canceled. In an email chain between Liesl, another board member, and Jessica, Jessica admitted the cancellation of the retreat was her fault. Quote, I am willing to take full responsibility for the retreat not happening as planned, that I am no longer as healthy or functional as when this project began, and be accountable for taking on too much and unable to follow through with the full vision. However, she pushed back on them on several points. Quote, I will not agree to things that are not truth, unquote. Jessica defended herself, saying that she did not prevent the transfer of ownership to the community, suggesting that they form a structure to buy the whole property completely as a collective. And she suggested that they could buy a parcel of the existing Birchtown land, which she assessed at $80,000. She said if she removed the mortgage co-signers, she could lose the property entirely. This email was followed by multiple requests from Liesl and the others to take Liesl's husband off the mortgage and for their own refunds. In fact, multiple people have asked for refunds from Jessica, such as the YWCA of Halifax. In July 2022, they asked for their $5,000 to be returned so that it could go towards funding a retreat for their Black Staff Caucus, as originally planned. There was no response. I don't really know where it went or if it went towards the retreat or what really happened. People really bought into this and believed in this and donated money that they made a choice between sometimes buying groceries for that week to donate money and, and not just BIPOC folks. And what I'm hearing from these frustrated donors is that Jessica is still living in the house on the Birchtown Retreat property. They are living there. They even specified that in their email. They're living in the one house, and I believe her mother is living in the other house. The sale of the biscuit eater went through, and Jessica and her husband no longer own the cafe. I spoke to many, many more people for this story than you've heard from. But they didn't want to go on the record, all for the same reason. They were afraid that Jessica Hepburn would say they're racist. According to my sources, Jessica has privately and publicly called out people for discriminating against people of color, often when she's called out first. So yes, that is definitely a pattern that has been used. I do think that, yes, that is the mode of operation that they have used in the past. I know a few persons that way that she's described them as racist, and then that person has just disappeared or kept quiet because they're afraid. They're afraid of retribution, you know, in the past to even recently. I had sent Jessica several messages seeking to get her side. I wanted to know if she really did live at the house. But she only responded with an email 
asking me if I knew how to participate in a calling-in process, and a few other details about her family that I won't share here. So I tried calling her. Hi, you reached the cell phone for Jessica Hepburn. I hope you are well and wonderful, and I'm sorry I'm not available to take your call. Please leave me a message. She didn't answer. But we needed to know for sure if she was still living in that house, a house that by now was supposed to be hosting wellness retreats for BIPOC folk. And I wanted to give her every chance to respond to all the allegations you've heard. So we sent a freelance journalist. Hi, I'm looking for Jessica. Can I tell her who's calling? Jessica's husband answered the door. And I'm just seeing if she's interested in speaking about the property and the plans for the retreat that she was going to build here. Not at this time, no. No, she's not here. Okay. Um, Is she here, though? I don't feel comfortable giving you that information. Um, It's kind of unsettling that you would just just show up uh, regarding this issue when there are other avenues to, to continue reaching out. Later, we sent her a full list of questions about the allegations you've heard in this episode. She responded in a lengthy email denying the allegations that the cancellation of the retreat was ever intentional or that she ever attacked anyone or called them racist. She says her former organizers refused to use legal methods for a resolution and have begun escalating attacks on her character. However, she does admit to taking on more than she was capable while also going through some personal struggles and she admits she was a stressful person to be around. She claims that she has now given refunds to everyone who reached out and requested one, a total of six people. However, she goes on to say that not everyone wants a refund. Just before publication, I did receive confirmation that some people have started to receive refunds for their memberships. Some of the people who worked with Jessica to create the Birchtown Retreat say that they believe she never meant for things to turn out this way. They say that she had big dreams and just ended up in over her head with very little money to make the project actually work. And that could be true, but there are others who think it went a little differently, like Lauren. Yeah, I mean, looking back at it, I think so. Just the way it happened, I'm like, it just felt too calculated. I'm like, maybe it wasn't. Part of me also is like... You know, maybe somehow it's not fraudulent, but I, I, I don't I just I just feel like it is, though, when I look at the facts. I don't know. From what I know, I feel like it was like premeditated just from the patterns and the experiences that people have shared with me. It feels really pessimistic and like yucky to think that it's like premeditated, but it's just the feeling that I have. Yeah. In reporting this story, I had worries about portraying racialized people and community organizing in a negative light. Because initiatives like Birchtown and other projects which try to meet the needs of marginalized communities, well, they're really important and they often rely on outside funding and the goodwill of outsiders. But making sure those promises are kept is also important. And so are the stories of the many people who came forward to me, feeling they had been stolen from or deceived. 
Lauren tells me they felt harmed and exploited by their participation in this whole project, and they never realized how that harm could be caused by someone within their own community. It's a lesson that they want to speak out on. And, you know, people of color can be racist to other people of color. Like, another reason why I'm speaking out about this is because, like, there's this misconception in our communities that a person of color can't be racist to another person of color. Like, yes, yes, we can be. (laughs) It was tokenizing, and we're unsure if that's okay to say because it was a black woman who was doing it. But the thing is that we can be tokenized by our own communities and we can be exploited by our own communities. Lauren says they're ready to move forward and create the beautiful space their community deserves. Lots of us just want like some kind of accountability or like just to get it out there to move forward and like hopefully pick up this project with like the right folks. Just because it's really, yeah, it's really heartbreaking that community didn't get this beautiful thing that they were promised. Like, it's really sad. That's your Canada land. If you value this podcast, here's what you're going to do. You're going to support us, maybe. We rely on listeners like you to actually pay for journalism. As a supporter, we're going to give you stuff. We'll give you premium access to all of our shows, ad-free. We'll give you early releases, bonus content. We'll give you our exclusive newsletter. We'll give you discounts on our merch, invites and tickets to our live and virtual events. But more than anything... You will be a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. You will be keeping our work free and accessible to everyone. Come join us now. Click the link in the show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read them all. We're on Twitter at Canadaland. Our website is canadaland.com. This episode was reported by Cherie Suturin. Tristan Capicione is our audio editor and technical producer. Our managing editor is Annette Ejofor. I'm your host, Jesse Brown. Our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. You can visit them online at cfuv.ca. You can listen to Canada Land ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. <laughs>